Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. Our daughter has a healthy appetite, don't you think? We tried to bring her up as best we could. But she's been rather a disappointment to us. Be the first time you didn't finish your dinner. I find fat people so... so gross. So unfortunate, of course, but so... ugly. What do you think, Mr. Pop? Me think Angel will be beautiful. She's a fat <laughs> slut. What you say, dear? Better he know that she's a fat slut. If God had wanted us to be fat, he'd have made us all the same way, wouldn't he? But he didn't. God doesn't like fat people. Fat people are an abomination in his eyes. Good evening and welcome to television. Hello. Hello. Hi there. Hey. Oh. Oh, whoa. <laughs> I'm Wayne Stellini and welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review everything from the mainstream to the obscure. Staying together while we're keeping ourselves apart for lockdown number six in the state of Victoria, I'd like to welcome back the amazing Kendall Richardson. Oh, stop it now. Thanks oh. for having me back. The amazing Wayne Stellini. <laughs> oh, hush you. <laughs> This podcast ain't big enough for two amazing people, so it'll just have to be you, Kendall. (laughs) If anyone's amazing, it's you. Anyway. Okay, I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah, good. (laughs) How have you been? I have been well, well, going well, you know, getting through lockdown, watching a bunch of different things. Yes. Lots to talk about. How about yourself? Same? Yeah, pretty much the same. Working from home watching lots of stuff in between movies, TV shows. So yeah, there's a, a, a lot of content to get through and now we've got the time to do it. Film TV is keeping me company when you're not here, Kendall. Yes, likewise, <laughs> likewise. <laughs> Wayne, I want you to reveal to our audience what we're reviewing today. Well, today we're reviewing Australian cult classic, Bad Boy Bubby. Please explain. After being kept confined to their cockroach-infested home by his abusive and religious fanatic mother, Claire Benito, 35-year-old Bubby, Nicholas Hope, finally leaves his squalid house after suffocating his mother and recently returned estranged father, Ralph Cotterill, in Clingwrap. Out on his own, Bubby is left to experience life in the industrial area of Adelaide. Rolf Dahir's multi-award-winning black comedy drama might be a cynical representation of 1990s Australia, but Kendall, was this good or bad, boy Bubby? Okay, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've ever felt more conflicted about a piece of cinema in my life (laughs) because I wanted to like this movie I wanted to enjoy it, but I need to be honest with you, Wayne. Yes. I I nearly turned it off. Oh, okay. I I nearly turned it off. In the first, like, 10, 15 minutes, I was almost done. And that's Uh, that's not not because it was a bad movie. mm -hmm. Uh, It's just I – how do I say this? I mean, I look, I'm okay with confronting imagery and confronting Mm. material. I've watched – I have a very – 
broad range of, of things that I like to watch and things that I enjoy and I, and I enjoy cinema as an art form, mm. right? And art is meant to provoke and that's yes. really what this film does most, I think, provokes certain feelings and reactions and responses in people. And for me, it just, the opening, like the way it just establishes the tone of the film, the characters we have, and the way they're interacting with the things around them, their environment. And it was just full on for me. Like I just, (laughs) it was just a lot to take in, in quick succession. We'll go into detail as we go along as to what, what those things are, but yeah, I mean, I'm, (laughs) I'm sort of, sort of ashamed to admit that I just, I cannot handle animal deaths in film. No, I, or television. I don't blame you. I found the, the treatment of the, the cat, especially the first cat, a bit confronting. And I know that when we were yeah. chatting after last podcast that we had and we were floating around titles to do and I said, look, Kendall, I know what you like and I kind of know what you don't like and I'm not yeah. too sure. So I was surprised when you were like, look, I'm going to go for it. And I commend you strongly for going, okay, Wayne's <laughs> this sort of flag that this might not be a movie for me. Yeah. And I also then commend you for sticking with it because you know what? No judgment whatsoever had you decided to switch it off and pull the plug. This is a movie that I had wanted to revisit because I had first seen it about maybe 25 years ago. I saw it when I was in high school. Wow. And I will flag now, and this doesn't really impact my review too much but just to give you an idea about what mindset I was coming into this film I remember not liking it and thinking it was one of the worst films I had ever seen and looking back on the notes that I had because yes even as a teenager I kept notes on movies yes I've been reviewing for that long (laughs) I really have but to, to summarize the notes I had on this film essentially I said that bad was the operative word and I'd given it half a star out of five and wow. did not want to look at it. Has my opinion changed on the film? Yes, it has. Has it changed drastically? Um, no, it hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to revisit it because I remember that I kind of passionately hated it. And I just thought, oh, okay. okay, well, you know, I was a teenager. Mindset's different now as an adult. Sure you know, more exposed to different art forms and things confront me differently and provoke differently. And I'm like you, I 100% believe that art and film should provoke discussions. It should be uncomfortable sometimes. It should make you question things because we've got enough of the popcorn fodder as it is. And, oh boy, do I have that in droves. So I, again, Kendall, you and I, very similar in terms of how we approach cinema pretty much watch anything once there are things that we like there are things that we don't like <laughs> but you know when you're open to different stories and storytelling forms and different storytelling mediums and different directors and point of views and viewpoints you kind of set yourself up <laughs> sometimes don't you <laughs> yeah you can <laughs> yeah. so I, i'm actually curious can to get more of your thoughts on this film but may i just okay. ask you said that you wanted to kind of switch it off at the 10, 15 minute mark. Was there a mm. certain moment that made you go, yeah, I need to turn away from this? I think it probably was the de- the death of the first cat because that did happen. I 
I think mm. about maybe 15, 20 minutes in mm. um, because it was just kind of a culmination of everything that had come before it. And because it's something especially that I, I just, for some reason, mentally, I can't handle that kind of stuff. Mm. So um, I think that just kind of tipped me over the edge. But up until that point, we just have this, oh, awful. I don't even, I can't even think of a word bad enough to describe the relationship between mother and son in this film. And mm. we get to see every extreme of it in the first 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. They clearly have a bond. She's clearly abusing him mm. as well. There's incest, which I was taken aback by. I mean, I mean, I've seen Game of Thrones, so I'm not, you know, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, at least they loved each other. <laughs> yeah. Game of Thrones. This, <laughs> this was just, this was just, I couldn't understand. I couldn't understand it. Clearly his mother is very mentally challenged as well, you know, and she's passed that on to him. He's never been outside this room. He's been in it for 35 years. So he's debilitated as a result. And mm. she is the only other person. She is the world basically, because yeah. as far as he knows, he can't go outside. So there's just all these things going on that you're seeing and the, these relationships and the way he acts with her and stuff. And when she leaves the house and she says, be still, be still. Mm. And he does what she says and she comes back hours later after doing her daily business, whatever, and gets mad at him for wetting himself, mm. even though he was doing what she asked. Like, yeah. there's just a lot of conflicting and contradicting statements and things. Just someone that's mm. not right in the head will do. And especially if it's like she's clearly getting off on a power trip of some degree. Like, she likes being the superior all-knowing, all-seeing kind of omnipotent force in his life and loves having that control and will be kind and sweet when she wants to be and will be downright dreadful and abusive as well when she wants to be. And then so just all of that stuff that I just wasn't expecting to see that then culminated with, <laughs> with him killing the cat accidentally, of course, mm. because, you know, there was this thing about not breathing right you know yeah. he was like what what happens when you don't breathe and, and she chokes him nearly kills him to make a point and be like that's not breathing and yeah. then he because he doesn't understand because he has a childlike intellect really a childlike mind he doesn't fully understand the consequences of any of his actions and mm. the first big consequence is unfortunately killing this poor feral cat that's kind of his pet it was just shocking to, to to witness yeah yeah and of course he doesn't expect that because he asks about the cat about why the cat didn't necessarily need a mask because of these this alleged poison that's outside yes. and you know the cat doesn't breathe so it is interesting how this pet cat is used as almost like the starting point of the chain of events that will lead bubby to exit the house and venture yeah. into the world. So I can see why they've used the cat that way. Yeah. You know, but is it the most pleasant thing to watch? Absolutely not. No, not at all. And I think the treatment of the cats in the film is actually one of the more contentious parts of the movie. For audiences, for critics, it received backlash. And I think it was in Italy that there was a call to boycott Australian products <gasps> at the time of release. Because, wow. yeah, because of the treatment of the cats 
in the film and the you know the director had to had to come out and explain how they weren't really hurt how they were treated humanely how there was a vet on site and the procedures about how these animals were actually treated well that cat there was feral the second cat in the film was not and one of the crew members took it as a pet Yes, but that first cat was feral. Uh, but we're not going to go into yeah. details about that, right? No. Um, but, yeah, but it is interesting how they use it as a tool and then how the second cat that Bubby interacts with goes to bring the story sort of a bit full circle or his growth full circle. But it's one of a few confronting moments in this movie. Yeah, Did you have any other thoughts about that? About the cat in general or just... Yeah, about that, about moment, yeah, about the cat, about anything that was confronting as well, because it's quite they're they're for me they're littered throughout the and I, I think this is the hallmark of Rolf to here is that this is what makes him I think a really good director at least whether you like the films or not is that he doesn't try to glitz or glamorize anything when there's a statement that he wants to make it's very yeah aggressive and in your face so he uses film in that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I do remember when I saw the second cat come into play towards the end, I literally screamed at the screen, run away! (laughs) Run for your life! Oh, God. Um, And then, of course, that cat ended up dying as well. And then I was like, well, fuck. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, at least not at the hands of Bubby. Exactly. Bubby did not kill this cat, Bubby. Bubby just wanted to bring it pizza. Um, and that moment yeah. interesting though, because you know the thing is with Bubby, all of the things that he says and does is what he's experienced and being exposed to at home. And when he yeah. has that second kitten, he goes from being how he would normally be, really aggressive and and um, assertive mm. towards the animal, but he does snap and goes to be very tender towards it. And this is a sign of, of his growth and development. If anything, I think it's almost like the rehabilitation of Bubby, that he's ready to be a part of society. That's the first inkling because he cares about this kitten a lot when he's with the band. He does. He, it's yeah. all he thinks about. Yeah, that's true. So it was, it was still very upsetting and I cried mm-hmm. again when yeah. that happened. But, yeah. but I was like, no, I, I get like, I, I do, you're right. I do get what they're trying to say with with using these cats as story devices, I suppose, to to further develop his character and, and, and set off the plot in its motion initially. But yeah, the, the character of Bubby, though, I just want to say is quite, quite fascinating because everything he says is dialogue someone else says. Yeah. Pretty much. And he imitates people. It's so interesting that, like, I don't know if it's because... <sighs> he has some kind of subconscious self-hate or like loathing for himself maybe maybe he knows deep down under everything that he's being treated a certain way and maybe he's being treated that way because he's not worthy or something maybe he's I don't know there's something going on there because like he's just you know I mean and by the end of the film he's he doesn't want to be called Bubby he wants to be pop he's like I'm pop now you know yeah which kind of speaks to his development of what you just said of like Mm. ready to kind of be a part of society because pop came from from this society that he's now finding himself in and Mm. you know and I think yeah he probably he clearly even though he only met his father for (laughs) 
a day or I don't even how the sense of time in this film is interesting too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard, especially early on, it's hard, kind of hard to tell how many hours or days or weeks had passed. But the brief time he does know his father is just, yeah, it's very interesting because he does immediately look up to him. Yeah. Immediately. But we see before that he's also still somehow looking up to his mother and he's dressing up like her and pretending mm-hmm. to be her. Like, and then the cat becomes Bubby and, you know, be still. And he puts the gas mask on and pretends to go outside and all this stuff. And all that is just happening throughout the entire film. And another interesting thing I just really wanted to point out is that for the majority of the film, I love how you said in the synopsis of the film, a cynical representation of 1990s Australia, because mm-hmm. you really kind of get, as soon as he steps out into the world at large, you really just get this feeling of, uh, of negativity, of, of just ill will everywhere. And for me, throughout the film as it went on, it kind of mostly kind of seemed separate between the two sexes. Like the men especially mm-hmm. were cruel and harsh and cold for most of the movie, every man yeah. he encountered. And then all the wit, mostly all the women at first were quite warm and mm-hmm. non-judgmental and all this stuff. But then eventually, like it just kind of, you know, I maybe I was pulling something out of somewhere because by the end, like there's we do encounter some women who are not great, and then some men who are nice, like the boys in the band are fantastic. Like yeah. I really like them quite a bit. But just the way Bubby interacts with the world, it just made me think of like this is like a dark version of Forrest Gump. right okay just yeah just because it kind of felt to me like you know we're experiencing this this world through him and he's just going from experience to experience interacting with people and a lot of these interactions I don't find to be too realistic similarly to Forrest Gump yeah it's it's quite like an odyssey isn't it it is yeah for for Bobby yeah I mean the I think there are moments that are sort of pushed to the extreme because Bubby is accepted or rejected almost immediately depending on who he interacts with. Yeah. I think the bit that probably really pushed reality the most, and it was a very small moment, but when he's being kept in the police station in the cells and then suddenly there's this group of bagpipe players because yeah. That that yeah. for me was like, like I I'll be honest, I don't understand their purpose and what they serve, and no. and for me that's when it really broke away from a reality. I mean, you're right; it pushes the idea of of what is real a lot throughout this film because again, there are extremes. The way he's he's brought up and raised his his home life at the beginning of the film, mm. that's very extreme and also the way some people interact with him in the streets of Adelaide I sometimes felt that you know some people were too accepting of him I didn't believe that people would naturally be as accepting like when he first encounters the Salvation Army people and he you know feels a woman's chest and she just keeps singing and just calmly puts his hands away from her you know, the, the moments where others would just scream and, and hit him almost felt yeah. more realistic to some degree. But then some yeah. other acts of violence seemed too aggressive, you know, because there wasn't a motivation behind them. So th- there's not a consistency, I think, in terms of a reflection of real life 
in no. saying that, though, if you are presenting a critique, and I feel that Rolf to here is doing that, you, I guess, need to push the boundaries, don't you? You know, you're looking at it through Bubby's eyes. So it's go- everything is maybe going to be exaggerated for him because what has he experienced really? Not much when we consider the confines of the squalor that he's lived his whole life in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, just on the bagpipes, I think I, I do 100% agree with you about the kind of nonsensicalness of the presence of them being in the police station. But for me, that kind of goes to the fact that I feel like music plays a big part in this film, mm-hmm. just in terms of the, the way, like the effect it has on Bubby, because clearly he's never had any music before in his life. Yeah, like, that's, that's true. That's like he, he's never been exposed to music. And like the first people he has a positive interaction with once he gets out is this Salvation Army choir that mm-hmm. are singing beautifully and he's drawn to them. I mean, that in and of itself is a very random happenstance because there doesn't really seem to be a purpose or a point to why they're in this kind of industrial area doing the singing. They're yeah. just kind of there, which I, guess, I suppose is fine because, you know, these choirs do go around to certain places and will mm. perform for people. But because of the way Bubby reacts to the bagpipes, is the same as the way he reacts to music throughout this entire film. He's drawn to it and he starts to lose his shit when he's in the cell. The only part about that scene that didn't make sense, I think, for me was the fact that they felt the need to take him out of this self-confinement and put him in a mutual cell just so he could be raped. Yeah. That I had a a problem with, but yeah. yeah. And I think story-wise, I think it's because the impression that I got was the police officer guarding him, I think, was trying to make sexual advances towards Bubby. Yeah, okay. You know, I think it, there was this friendliness towards him that I think was going in a certain direction. Right. And then, you know, Bubby hisses at him. And it's almost like a punishment that okay, sure. he sends him into a cell where there's somebody who obviously has a history of sexual violence because of what happens, but also the way that cell is presented. There's fecal matter smeared all over the walls. The guy is sitting in the corner naked and it takes, what, 30 seconds, a minute for him to pin Bubby to the bed and rape him. And we hold on to that for quite a while as well. I guess what I took from that, though, and this was one of the, the themes I got from the film, was that I feel like Bubby's time in the police station and in that cell block serves as a critique of the justice system. So when we think about that Bubby is the cling rap killer, right? Mm-hmm. Now, no one knows this, <laughs> right, except for, you know, a few people, I guess. Throughout, throughout the film, not many people know this. Um, but at that no. stage, the police don't know that that's him. So Bubby's being held overnight for assaulting a woman. And then he goes through the justice system. And that involves an abuse of power from the cop because the cop is trying to get friendly with him. And even if you don't read into it what I've read into it, if you just say, no, the cop was just being nice 
and then decided to turn against Bobby, he still makes a conscious decision to put this guy into the cell that he does to have him share with someone else. That's a conscious decision with expected consequences, I would argue. And then once Bubby has gone through that trauma, he's allowed out. And the police officer makes a comment that Bubby is now rehabilitated and gives him $10 and sends him off his way. Yeah. So I feel like that that's a critique on the justice system. Totally. You do a crime, you're put in there, no one really cares about your well-being, your safety doesn't matter, rehabilitation doesn't matter, and it doesn't really matter what you've done, you're all in there together, we're just sort of throwing you away. And then once you've done the time, out you go, you're ready for society. And I feel like that whole sequence, that that's what it served, that's what I read, and mm. I can see the the reason why Dahir made the choices he made in terms of story, at least. Yeah, totally. I think one of the other themes that is incredibly prevalent in this film, and you'd probably have to be experiencing this movie with a blindfold and earplugs <laughs> to not notice, is a critique on organised religion or, yeah. you know, big, big religions to begin with. And, and we get that really from the get-go when mm-hmm. his mother threatens Bubby by saying that Jesus is looking at him and we see a crucifix on the wall, but there isn't a head mm. on, on the figure of Jesus. So it's almost like the words are saying one thing and Dahir is saying, well, no one's looking at you. And mm. here is that physical proof because mm. this representation of Christ doesn't have eyes to see. And also the fact that Bubby's father is a priest or is a part-time preacher, I think he says. And when we sort of first experience him, we've got this close-up on his throat because that's where the collar is. Mm. So I think it's really looking at religious, specifically Christian doctrine, ideologies and behaviours and the negative impacts. It doesn't look at anything positive, I don't think, of the faith or of religions in general. I think it looks at the negativity that they bring. I think the representation of religion is quite savage in this movie, and I think it's purposely so. But again, I think that that's one of the critiques that Dahir has. The film is set in the city of churches. (laughs) Yeah, ironically. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. But we see it throughout, even when Bubby meets the Salvos and they go to the pub and they pay for their meal through donations. <laughs> so, you know, even charities that are linked with any religious affiliations don't come off unscathed here. Yeah. So, yeah, so I find that interesting and I find it's almost, you know, again, there's there's always somebody who is mistreating Bubby or using Bubby for their own self-gain they want something out of him and yeah I think it isn't until towards the middle to end of the film that that starts to turn around another theme that I picked up on or that I took from this film was the role of artistic expression so like how you said Kendall how music plays such a big part in this movie because it's so new to Bubby But Bubby's been performing his whole life because 
what else can he do? It's very mm. much the whole, you know, monkey see, monkey do type thing within his home because that's how children learn. It's through mimicry. And Bubby does that. We, we see him do that with his mother, then his father, and then the assortment of people that he meets once he experiences the big bad world. And, mm. yeah, it's not an accident that that's where his dialogue is derived from and that he matches the way they will say things. He will match their tone. It's it's clever. Like, I, I will give the movie that. And mm. I know they shot it in sequence for that reason mm. so that Nicholas Hope could do it how it was performed, not how it was rehearsed, not how it may be intended or interpreted, but to do a full-on mimicry. So I thought that that was actually quite well done there. Mm. But I feel that Bubby doesn't really get fully accepted until he meets the band. We could argue that it's because people love Bubby performing towards the end of the movie that they're like, oh, no, this guy is bringing in the money for us. Audiences love him. There's already a cult of Bubby (laughs) developed in this pub towards the end of the movie. But they've already accepted him before that point because they don't judge him. I guess they treat him like he's a child, but not in a negative way. There is almost this sort of protectiveness around him because they have this moment when they discover that he's the cling wrap killer, that they could send him to the police and dob him in that way because there's a huge reward for him and they need money, but they choose not to do that. They actually still take him under their wing and to some degree, Their success as musicians is the reward for that, I think. And, I mean, even when he brings the cat at the table, you know, they're actually quite nice about it by just saying, like, "Um, take it outside. (laughs) Play with it outside, right? So I feel like that Bubby finds his acceptance through music and Mm. through the entertainment art industry and I think that that says a lot as well yeah and and I feel like that he's not only accepted by the musicians but by the patrons of this pub who will mimic the way he dresses with the with the priest collar and and things like that and even though when he first goes to the microphone and starts performing it's really aggressive language it's violent language but it sort of works for the band. The fact that they even invite him to participate says so much, I think. So I think Mm. there's a real strong message about the role of art and artistic expression. And whilst we might have cynical representations of Australian lifestyle in this film, I don't think the way that art fits into our society is presented in a cynical way if anything it's almost seen as this saving grace and one could argue that it is also a part of Bubby's rehabilitation but I particularly liked the moments with Bubby and the musicians just when they're all sitting around talking having a drink having food it felt very authentic and I think it flags the type of life that Bubby could have if people just treat him normal Mm, absolutely yeah so i mean for me there were a few themes there 
Yeah, yeah. I really have to agree with pretty much everything you just said. All, <laughs> all very strong, prevalent kind of themes running throughout, especially like the religious one really mm. hit hard just throughout the entire film. And one interesting thing I wanted to mention that I, I found <laughs> a, little, a little shocking but surprising and like just kind of, all right, this is kind of interesting because mm. um, there's a scene where Bubby goes into a church because he hears, he's drawn to it again by the music. He hears the organ playing yeah. from within and he just walks on in and then walks right up to the man playing the organ and, list- and stands there silent and just watches and listens to the music being played. And then immediately, as soon as the man finishes playing, you know, he gets up and immediately just decides to take Bubby under his wing sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And we just hard cut to this kind of industrial kind of factory setting where we get this just massive wide shot that just keeps zooming out and out and out and out while we have this dialogue of this organ player talking about how God doesn't exist and God mm. isn't real and you shouldn't put him on a pedestal and you shouldn't expect him to do this and that for you. Speaking to what you said earlier about all of these negative connotations with religion and organized religion and portraying it in a bad light through this film. And I just love the way that Rolf to here decided to use someone that we would assume to be a man of faith because he's in a church and he's playing the music of Christ, essentially, you know, for yeah. like a better phrase. And then he just turns around immediately and is like, God is dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm an, I'm an atheist basically, you know, and I just found that so fascinating that that was just who this person was. And then the influence that that then has on Bobby as the film goes on and we meet Angel and he has this very interesting relationship with her, which was a little confronting for me at first because I thought maybe she was another abusive kind of person because at first when they meet, she's like, oh no, I'm, you know, there's Pop and then there's Bubby and I'm only going to show my breasts to, um, who did she say? I can't remember. Is Bubby? She showed, She wants to show her breasts to and not Pop? That's correct. Yes. Yes, yes, thank you. I just couldn't remember. Um, and so they, so she has this interesting like acknowledgement of the two kind of characters that are within him. And, you know, she goes along with it because she's interested in him. But then I kind of liked where they took the relationship of like, you know, the fact that they go to her parents' house and have mm. this dinner that was just so upsetting because... Oh, how uh, monstrous were they? Oh my God. I was like, why did they even go there? Because uh, I mean, if you're, if you're, she's there for five minutes and her parents are, or mum especially is just like, God did not intend for us to be fat yeah, and all this stuff. Like you, you're, you're, you're sinful. You're this, you're that, like just speaking all these awful words against her. And, and then Bubby, like, I love the fact that because he's repeating dialogue from other people, I love the fact that he ends up using dialogue from others that he's taken on and then putting it in this situation and using it to defend Angel and stand up for her. And I really, really like that. And I was concerned at first because Angel didn't immediately kind of, yeah, there wasn't any, any kind of like, thanks, Bubby, and let's go mm. sort of thing. Like they kicked Bubby out and she kind of let it happen. But obviously there's a lot of trauma 
but she has to deal with an abuse from her parents, verbal verbal abuse. But eventually, obviously, they come together and, and kind of decide that her parents have to die. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? Why not? She wasn't that sad about it. <laughs> no, she, no. Sad? Yeah, I wonder if that tirade at the table, uh, body mm. shaming her mm. and slut shaming her too at the same time yes. because why wouldn't you? Ugh. Just again goes to speak about how religion can be used mm. to criticise anybody and oppress anybody. So, yep. you know, in this case, they're using weight as an example. But, you know, it could easily be gender, it could be, sexuality it could be social economic status it could be health status it could be religious it could be anything and people who will choose to use religion for hate and not love will find something if they want to and and i think that that's probably what it goes to show but it's it's almost very much how the world has made bubby the way he is and yeah. at the very beginning his world consists of him and his mother. And when he ventures out into the literal world of Adelaide, he's then reflecting what is said and done to him. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that, again, is another theme about how we're reflections of our own society and culture, really. Absolutely. And especially especially children. And because Mm. Bubby is very childlike in the way he is and the way he responds to things and his lack of understanding Mm. and his you know his his intelligence level is not adult and so you know kids are so impressionable when they're coming of age and when they're learning how to be humans and so because he's still kind of a child even though his brain's fully developed he's still stuck in that developmental stage I think where he's just super impressionable and exactly what you said reflecting the world that he's encountering. Absolutely. And I think it's easy to assume that Bubby has maybe an intellectual disability yeah. because of how he behaves. But watching the film this time round, I'd like to actually suggest that I don't think that Bubby has any form of disability at all. I actually think that the way he behaves is reflected on the environment he's grown up in yeah that there hasn't been any education you know the diet is poor relationships with other people is abusive and degrading i feel like he's got this capacity to really grow into himself and i think we see that specifically in two key moments one where he is embracing rachel the young lady with cerebral palsy and is Mm. crying because she has a crush on Bubby and he doesn't feel it back. And he is upset that them as a couple could not be, and that she will be alone. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a relationship that isn't going to happen. And he's Mm. the one who is saying that. And he's Mm. feeling this wave of emotion because he can't provide that for her. But then at the very end, we see that Bubby fathers twins. Mm. And the closing scene, if you switch the film on then and had not seen everything before it, 
That looks like a normal suburban family to me, just having fun in the yard. So I feel like that that's a point that Dahir is trying to make as well, that we are shaped by our culture, by our society. And I think that Bubby's moral compass is dictated through the way he is nurtured and gosh i use that term very loosely in in regards to how he was raised but you know if we're going nature versus nurture it's Mm -hmm. it's nurture here and then also the community in which he finds himself in there are good people and bad and indifferent in adelaide because that's where this film is set but it could be any any city really yeah yeah he has good behaviours. He has not so good behaviours. So, again, he's reflecting on his surroundings. So what the community is doing, I'm doing. And at the beginning, what yeah. was done in the home is what I'm doing because that's what I know. That's what's normal. We yeah. learn yeah. Through, through our environment. And so I mm-hmm. think him meeting Angel and him having this connection not only with her, but for the lovely young people that she works with, these people with um, differing disabilities, there's this empathy that comes out and he immediately has this connection because mm. when Angel is with some of these young people in the park, Bubby understands what Rachel's saying straight away. Mm. There's this sort of understanding between them. So I think it sort of shows to this idea that there is more in him than, than what's been allowed to be expressed because he's been oppressed for three and a half decades. So I think sure. it's an interesting commentary. Um, yeah. you know, I think, again, Rolf here has a lot of interesting ideas and some of them are presented in an effective way. But I think he's gone to make a confronting and provocative movie. I don't think he ever thought this was going to be a walk in the park. And I think he's actually achieved it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So in saying that, Kendall, is there a line, a moment, a performance that really (laughs) stuck out to you? Oh, gosh. Well, I feel like I just need to kind of start any kind of favorite discussion or favorite performance with just really mentioning uh nicholas hope Mm. as bubby because the things he has to do in this film are not an easy task for any actor to take on and do and and the fact that he was i read that the audio was all on him they had these Mm. binaural microphones on him so He also had this tech stuff to deal with on top of doing this mimicry and and being very physical in his performance as well and expressive. There's just so many different elements to his performance and as as much as there is kind of these grand gestures, there's also these beautiful subtleties to the way he plays this character. And, yeah, I, I really need to commend his performance and his courage to put himself in these situations and these very vulnerable scenes, Mm. you know, very vulnerable scenes. Most of the moments in this film are just really intense and, and, and shocking. And yeah, for him to just completely give himself over to the character and to his surroundings is just absolutely remarkable, remarkable. Whilst I did find, find the film hard to watch, of course, Mm. I really did enjoy his performance a lot. 
a favorite moment though i think apart from that random organ player um <laughs> scene that i mentioned before that kind of you know struck me a little i did really just like the scenes when he was one of the boys in the band mm. they were a lot of fun and then the fact that he just has this moment where and this is where it kind of made me start to think of Forrest Gump because I didn't really find it believable that whilst, yeah, Bubby getting up on stage and kind of having a Tourette's-like breakdown <laughs> in front of the microphone seemed realistic to his character, but then the fact that he would then in turn get a fan base mm. of, of people and then in turn the band is called, what are, what are they bloody well called? The... Um, Pop and the Cling Rap Killers is the name <laughs> of the band. At the end of the film, they're all dressed in cling wrap. And it's, it's, oh my God. Like, no, this would not happen. Especially if they don't want anyone knowing that he is the cling wrap killer. <laughs> exactly. That's what I, yeah. That's why, that's why. Well, it's hiding get. in plain sight, isn't it? It's almost like saying, yeah. well, hang on, this band is taking the piss out of this mysterious man who's killing people with cling wrap. So yeah, them. <laughs> yeah, I know. Point, point the finger somewhere else. But, but I, apart from that unrealisticness of, uh, I mean, most of the film is unrealistic, but you know what I mean? Like mm. that just, I just, I just thought it was kind of mesmerizing the way that he would get up on stage and just, again, just repeat these pieces of dialogue that he's learned from mm. the outside world and from his parents and then the fact that people would respond to it and have a, a connection because it, it did kind of complement the music really well, like this kind of progressive synthesizers and, and, and drums and guitars, like just, you know, it just kind of all really worked together and it kind of just made me feel like it was, I was watching his slam poetry mm. kind of performance, you know, because like this is, this is Bubby represented on stage in his purest form and he was loving it and the joy he was getting out of it. And then by the end when I just love it, when he throws himself into the crowd and <laughs> angels there and, you know, he's like pointing her out and it's all, yeah, there's some sweet moments there too. So I just, the movie really, they, they kind of found a nice way to balance the good scenes with the bad scenes, like the pot, like the, the positive scenes, the happier scenes with the mm -hmm. ne more negative ones. And I, so it kind of, made me thankful that I'd persevered mm. so I could get to these scenes of joy, I suppose, even though they weren't as thought provoking, but they were still enjoyable because at the end of the day, we are watching a movie and it also needs to be entertaining. Yeah. So yeah. In terms of favorite stuff, I think that's probably all I have to really <laughs> mention. Wayne, what, I'm, I'm curious as to what your favorite moments or lines or performances were in this quite similar to, to yours, Kendall. You're right. It's difficult to go past Nicholas Hope as Bubby because of uh, the work that he's put into this character. And, I mean, look, I didn't really pay too much attention, but I don't think it would be wrong of me to say that he's in every single scene and almost every single frame, it feels, <laughs> really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there is... There's a lot of work there. Yeah, you're right about him having these different earpieces there, and that's why we've got that inconsistency with the audio yeah. because the director wanted us to hear what Bubby would hear. So sometimes you hear loud and clear. Other times things are muffled or are far back in the background. You can't really hear. So that's that's an interesting thing. To hear really wants to put us into Bubby's 
point of view. And something else that was actually quite interesting was that there was like over 30 cinematographers working on this yeah. film, always with a different scene, I suppose. And, and that's hit and miss for me. So uh, sometimes mm. I liked the visual style, other times I didn't. I thought it was quite ugly. But to go back, I think, you, you know, you stay with this movie because Nicholas Hope is so good. And I think you can't help but be invested in the character. Even if you're not in the film, you're invested in this character and at least want to see how it will work out for him. And again, that all comes down to Nicholas Hope. I do actually want to also shout out Claire Benito, who played his mother, because I found her to be one of the most monstrous and grotesque characters in Australia that I have ever experienced. And to convey that takes absolute skill and talent. And I think it's actually a brave performance from her. I think I have to say that there was absolutely nothing to like about her character, but it would be remiss of me not to acknowledge the performance that she turned in because I thought it was incredibly strong and Mm. really, really well done. If I had favourite performances, it was Nicholas Hope and and Claire Benito. And I, I agree. When Bubby is one of the boys in the band, the film is absolutely on point. But I have to say, I actually like the moments more when they're not on stage, when they're all, you know, in the back of the back of the truck, they're having a beer, when they're around the table having pizza after a gig. It's just these really authentic one-on-ones and, you know, just they look like just a normal group of friends. And you do sense that they really feel like this duty of care. They've literally picked him up from the street in retaliation to him being mistreated by a police officer. Another critique of justice. The law enforcement doesn't look after Bubby, but artists do. So I Mm. think there's these recurring things and, and codes. And whilst I'm obviously not bashing law enforcement at all, that's the message of the film. And um, I, I can't, berate a movie that endorses the positivities of the arts so (laughs) it does you know so so for me the moments of of him with the boys was really good I thought it is interesting to see how this film was received so British film critic Mark Commode actually walked out of the screening of Bad Boy Puppy, yeah, when when it was being shown. And that was, again, due to the depictions of animal cruelty. I've got an interesting quote from the director, from Ralph Tahir, of him reflecting on the film. He says, It's startling to think that 22 years after Bad Boy Bubby confounded everyone, including me, by winning five prizes at the Venice Film Festival and 21 years after it was released to an unsuspecting general public, the film is still ticking away, being shown, being seen, being loved and loathed in probable equal measure. (laughs) I think that's probably a fair assessment as well. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. So someone who did love the movie was the king of Australian film criticism, and that's David Stratton. Oh. So he said that, I really think this is one of the finest and most original of all Australian films that I've seen. I really think it's a milestone in Australian cinema. His only critique of the film was that it ran for too long. Mm. 
but for him that was a minor critique and awarded it five out of five stars. Wow. Okay. Yes. So, Kendall. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Wayne. (laughs) What are your final thoughts and a score out of five for Bad Boy Bubby? Oh, what a segue. How do I follow up <laughs> the wise and wonderful David Strand? <laughs> well, would it, would it help to let you know that it also has a 100% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes? I, I, did, I did see that as well. Um, <laughs> no, no pressure at all for my rating. Oh, gosh. Again, I just have to reiterate my confliction over this film. Because as much as it upset me, I cannot deny that this is a good film. It is well put together. For the most part, it is well shot. I will agree with you a bit on the cinematography. It is kind of hit and miss. But I do admire and applaud the decision to kind of bring some authenticity to Bobby's journey through the outside world by giving these different visual kind of cues and, and, and takes on his experiences as we're watching them. That's really cool. As a film, just in general, I think, I think it, it succeeds in, in what it sets out to do. It tells a story that is just, oh man, it just is very thought provoking and as you can, you can tell, dear listener, has provoked quite a, a, a detailed discussion from mm. the two of us, which I, I think is, in this case, is a very good thing. You know, we got a lot out of this film. I got a lot out of this movie. And I am very glad that I pushed through those first 15 minutes. It was so close. I was, I was so close to pulling the pin. So close. But I'm glad I didn't because, you know, as I said as well, cinema is, a, is an art form and... The best kinds of art really do provoke an emotional response as well as an analytical one. Mm. And I, I do appreciate what Rolf to hear is trying to tell through Bubby and the, the commentary on different aspects of human life that he's really bringing to the table in this film. The cast is pretty good. I mean, for, in general, the performances are, are okay. Some are hit and miss. The main kind of players, especially, as I said, Nicholas Hope is, uh, uh, they're all just, yeah, they're delivering some top-notch performances throughout this piece. And, yeah, like it's, I don't know, I don't know what else to really say. <laughs> I'm sure there's there's more to, to Bad Boy Bubby that I wanted to unpack and mm. it's just, but we've covered so much and I'm just struggling to think if there's anything else I've left out. I don't think I have left anything out, though. Mm. But I will also say, I do agree, it may, do, it may have gone on a little bit long. Mm. But again, a minor criticism. So I guess I'm just going to have to pick a number. Because <laughs> <laughs> as I've been going through this podcast, the number has been changing and, <laughs> and finding its way as to what I, the score I'm going to give it. But I think, I think I'll settle on a, a, <laughs> on a very fair... A uh, three out of five for me, Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear your final thoughts on a score out of five. Yeah, well, Kendall, you've done really well to endure Bad Boy Bubby, and it sounds like that you you got more out of it than I actually thought that you would have. Only, That's and true. I only say that based on how you began your <laughs> discussion <laughs> of yeah. this movie. Uh, yeah. So you actually 
I guess I've taken more out of it than I thought. In saying that, look, I appreciate what Rolf Dahir has done. I actually think he's succeeded in what he's aimed to do in terms of presenting a critique, especially if that's what he's trying to do. And if not, if he's just putting a reflection on the contemporary society when this film was made, then I think he's been quite successful in that as well. I mean, when you, the film really is like a fish out of water story when you think about it but it's just taken to really dark and edgy moments. I mean, and there were moments where I did find myself laughing at some of the dark humour. But at other times, I thought that it was visually ugly and I thought some of the sequences went on too long. I checked my watch at about the 70-minute mark and that's a problem when your film goes for almost two hours. So, yeah, yeah, I do agree that it is a bit long and... I would have loved it to have been half an hour shorter, actually. For me, it it tested the patience. I think some of the themes and messages are quite heavy-handed, actually. I know it's supposed to be in your face. I do get it. And again, I'm not one who shies away from provocative or confronting works. They evoke discussions. And Kendall, I agree. I think we've had a great discussion about this film today. In saying that, at the end of the day... Is Bad Boy Bubby a well-made film? Yes, it is. Is it a film that I would revisit? No. Is it a movie that I would particularly recommend? No. But I can't take away from some of the good elements because if the film was just a piece of trash, we wouldn't have had the in-depth discussion and at length that we did have. So... Again, it's not a total write-off. I don't think it's for all tastes. It's provocative, it's polarising, and it's two out of five for me. Okay. There we go. Well well surmised, Wayne. Thank well you. Well surmised. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kendall, I wouldn't necessarily recommend Bad Boy Bubby, but <laughs> there's other things I would recommend, and I'm sure there are titles that you would too. What have you been watching since you've been in <laughs> Yes, well, there is one film in particular I would really like to recommend, and it's a documentary called Val. Right. And this is the uh, documentary about the wonderful actor Val Kilmer. And this one you can check out on Amazon Prime. I highly recommend. It's such an incredible documentary, so well put together. It's all from footage that Val Kilmer himself has shot pretty much his entire life. His family were kind of, you know, especially him and his brothers were big on, on filmmaking and creating art when they were kids. And that really just kind of carried through his entire life. So he was always filming everything. So the stuff from, from him when he's a kid through to his college years, through to behind the scenes on certain films. There's a lot of behind the scenes footage on certain films which is really, really interesting. There's, if you're a fan of Batman, of course, mm. there is, there's, some, there's some tidbits there that I won't say because, um, you know, I, I learned some things that I was like, oh, okay, interesting. And then if you really want to know just how much of a shit show the island of Dr. Moreau was, <laughs> um, <laughs> you will get a good glimpse of that. Oh, great, great. <laughs> yeah, it's just such a great look at not just Val Kilmer as a person, but just what it means and what it takes to be an artist in general. This film is about art and about 
acting and about interpreting things and it's just beautiful uh it's a love letter to to him and to his life and to and to the world of art basically and it's narrated by his son because sadly for those who don't know Val Kilmer cannot speak properly anymore because he lost his voice due to his throat cancer a few years ago you do get to hear him speak in the film with the help of the technology that we do have today that mm. gives him a voice but he wrote the dialogue for his son to say and his son does have a, have a similar voice to him so it's kind of nice and it, it's just it's just kind of nice in general to have you know like what a bonding experience it must have been for father and son to do that you know yeah and for him for him to go that deep and say these words that his father is thinking and the things that he's feeling so it's just yeah a beautiful beautiful documentary that I cannot recommend higher and I have to give it a five out of five easily. Mm. Nice one. Well, I look forward to watching that. I love Val Kilmer. Mm. And oh, good. Yes. And I have seen The Island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> have you? Okay. Yes. You've not seen it? I haven't seen it, but I, I have heard the, the tales of the turbulent production <laughs> that it was. Yeah, well, it's, I saw it a really long time ago and I remember enjoying it. So I wonder with okay. a contemporary lens if I would enjoy it. But m- maybe, Kendall, that's for another discussion down the track between you and I. Okay? Maybe, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah, yes. well, speaking of discussions, uh, well, after our last podcast, once we finished recording, you and I were talking for ages. And of course, when we talk, we always talk film and TV as well as other things mm-hmm. that are going on in our <laughs> lives. And one of the things that we talked about was a documentary that I had seen before. I'm not sure if you had seen it, but I'd seen before and I thought that I would revisit it. And I did uh, this week. And that was Man on Wire. I watched it. You watched it too. Yeah, was that your <laughs> I first watched time, it too. Your first it was time my watching first it? Time. Yeah. 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 So for Thanks. those who haven't seen it, it's the telling of performance artist Philippe Petit, who crossed the World Trade Center while it was under construction in 1974. And when I say he crossed the World Trade Center, I meant way up in the air with a tightrope <laughs> from roof to roof. He is a charismatic figure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I love the way he tells his story. Everything about him is performing this boundless energy. And uh, you can see why I think he, (laughs) why he is the way he is and why he's done the stunts that he has done. Okay, well, I know that this is my little moment, but Kendall, I have to segue. What did you think of it as a first-time viewer of Man on Wire? Oh, yeah, no, I, I really I really enjoyed it. And you, just, just to go off what you were just saying about mm. Philippe Petit, like you can really see why the people around him were drawn mm. to him and had to be a part of him achieving his dream of crossing the World Trade Centre. And I love the way the film kind of, you know, there's no narration. Mm. They let the the people who were there tell the story for you. They even kind of mix in, you know, uh, uh, or like I just, I don't know, like the, the dramatised stuff. Mm. Like sometimes, sometimes dramatised things in docos doesn't work. Yeah. But I think it really worked here well because it complemented the commentary from the real life people and just I love these little aside moments of Philippe Petit like really like when he was you know kind of performing what was happening like he's saying oh we're gonna go this way and do this like he's all arms everywhere and like moving around like 
he's just he's just magnetic yeah and I and I just love how they kind of brought all these different people from different walks of life lives together you know we have Americans we have Frenchmen of course and we have an Australian in this one as well and I had no idea there was an Aussie involved but yeah it was just it was just awesome it's it's such a good documentary and I love how it does kind of also cover not just the World Trade Center of course that is the reason Mm. we're here we're watching it because you know 110 stories up it's insanely high at the time he crossed them they were the two highest buildings in the world and i love that he had said that he wanted to cross them before they were even built he saw in the newspaper that oh look these two towers are going to be built in new york and when they are they'll be the tallest buildings in the world and he's like i'm doing this and he was 17 when he made that decision and he had been obsessed about doing so and had crossed different landmarks <laughs> before then. Yeah, but just the way, you know, the way he tells the story. I mean, at one point he gets up off his chair and hides behind a curtain because it adds yeah. to the story that, that he's telling. It's easy to see why anyone who would spend five minutes with him would be like, yep, I am going along with whatever you want and I'm supporting you. Yep. One of the things I think with the film that I just wanted a little bit more, I wanted 10 or 15 minutes more, was because after he achieves this magnificent feat, and talk about public displays of art, there it is. Mm. You know, we get the impression that him and his best friend parted ways after that. He broke up with his girlfriend, Julie, Mm. after that. And she sort of says, well, just sort of seemed to come to this natural end. And we don't know why his friendship ended, but I I just wanted to know what was it about, you know, they all worked so hard together on this huge and illegal risk. Mm. And then once it was done, it's almost like they had no reason to all be together anymore. And that I found interesting because they were obviously all friends before this event. A lot of them didn't come together just to do this. They seemed to be friends beforehand but it just seemed to be like this circle of friends couldn't sustain itself. And I found that interesting, but the film doesn't explain why that was the case. I mean, yes, Mm. friendships, relationships, they have their lifespan and they come to a natural end when it's time to do so, when it's right to do so. There's no real explanation there. So I did want a little bit more. I am absolutely petrified of heights and being in high places. Me too. So I will have to say, and I knew what I was getting myself in for, because as I said, I'd seen this movie <laughs> before, but I went through it because we talked about it. I was like, yes, I want to watch this movie again. I don't think my spine has literally tingled so much in any other movie I've ever seen. And Kendall, I like horrors. I like scary stories and thrillers. My spine was tingling for so much of this movie. I was in yeah. a- physical pain with those shots and yes and that that's that's a good film that literally makes you feel something but i do i do highly recommend man on wire from 2008 four stars from me nice good recommendation thank you kendra what would you give it out of curiosity oh what would i give it yeah i think i'd probably give it a four as well actually Yeah. yeah Yeah, it's yeah, a good story. Yeah. It's told really well. It's done really it well. It is. It is. But you're right. At the end, it is. It does kind of end a bit abruptly once mm. the, the, the job is done and we have this hinting of the relationships breaking apart. We don't really get any kind of 
explanation, exploration, or resolution on any of it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a shame. But overall, very good documentary. Yes, have to agree. And you know what? There's a lot of other very good documentaries and films out there for us to stream while we are in lockdown. And we're going to be in lockdown for a little bit longer. Uh, so. Yes. <laughs> Yes. So um, I'd love to thank our beautiful listeners for joining Kendall and myself for this episode of Fred Watch. We're lockdown buddies together and Mm -hmm. we'll be back soon with another movie to recommend or not recommend uh, (laughs) our next (laughs) lockdown special. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So until then, I've been a Wayne Stellini. And I've been a Kendall Richardson. And you've just experienced Fred Watch. Cue music! And same. After the show. Oh, we survived bad boy Bubby. <laughs> <laughs> we survived somehow. God. Oh. That actually came out better than I expected. Okay. I was, like I was, God, you should have seen me Saturday <laughs> after I watched the movie because. Were you a nervous re- wreck? <laughs> yeah. I was in like the worst mood after watching oh. it. Yeah, because it just really oh, got under my skin, you know? Yeah. Um, That's why I was kind of like, I was like, oh, I don't know if it's one to recommend during lockdown. <laughs> don't have anyone to sort of turn to. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but you know what? Again, as I said before, kudos to you for, for sticking with it <laughs> and for choosing to go with it. Um, Yes, kudos to you, Kendall. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know, it was just, it's weird. Like, movies don't, I mean, movies do affect me. Like, I, I, I imagine if the, the, the deaths of two cats had not happened, I probably would not have had the, the kind mm. of visceral reaction that I did. Mm. But, um, yeah, I don't know. So I don't regret watching it, but, like, I think it's, Upon reflection, it's a better movie than I remember it being when I was watching it. Because I, mm. too, by the, you know, 80, 70, 80, maybe 90 minute mark, I was mm. like looking at my watch pretty constantly because I was like, I was ready for it to be over. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd been through enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but well, you yeah. know what, though? It's, it's one of those movies that I think is better on paper than experience totally because again i think like a lot of thoughts gone into it right um but yeah but i've just gone no nah. <laughs> yeah yeah I, no. again I, look i didn't hate it but i i, I didn't no. love it and i didn't even particularly like it but no same yeah, yeah. i yeah i just i don't know because <laughs> well, that's why i mean like when i was saying i was conflicted because i'm like yeah. i didn't enjoy the movie but it's still a good movie. Yeah, in terms of filmmaking. Yeah. It's weird because you're right. In terms of filmmaking, it's good. 
in terms of a cinema audience movie going experience, I don't think it's that good. Um, and, you know, and there are other movies yeah. that are, you know, not meant to be choppy or anything like that, that are meant to be really serious and, 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 and brooding and reflective um, and to show the ugly side of human nature and all of these things. But you can still walk away feeling like, you know, you felt the message of the film and you'd be like, oh, wow, that was sad or that was traumatic or that was confronting or that was confusing. But you can still acknowledge that that's a good experience because yeah. it's provoked in a way. But even though Bad Boy Bubby is provocative, it's, for me, wasn't a good movie-going experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, gosh. <laughs> but you know what? It's done. <laughs> it's done. We did yeah. it. Absolutely. Yeah. I will, wow. I'll stop recording now. Blooper reel. Staying together while we're keeping ourselves up. Yep, that worked. <laughs> <laughs> Staying together while we're keeping ourselves apart for lockdown number six. Oi, no? You don't no. Like it? Well, I paused and I didn't say in the state of Victoria. Yeah. And I feel like I need to say in the state of Victoria. Lockdown, them, yeah. yeah. Staying together while keeping ourselves apart for lockdown number six in the state of Victoria. I'd like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Or, you good? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe if I just read it as I wrote it, it wouldn't be having issues. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know. I mean, I, I wasn't going to say anything, but. <laughs> it's a script and everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well we're off to a good start aren't we oh yeah <laughs> this bit's always the easy bit <laughs> yeah. signs of trouble ahead danger <laughs> you know more exposed to different art forms and um things confront because we've got enough of the popcorn flutter 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 F fodder. fodder yeah thank you i love how you said in the synopsis of the film um the where was it um da -da 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 -da. Da -da -da. um there, there are moments that are sort of pushed to the extreme because bobby we, we see him do that with his mother then his father and then the assorted number of people the assortment of people but they've already accepted um, we had a, a film critic, Mark Kermode. I think that's how you say his name. K-E-R-M-O-D-E. Kermode. Oh, no, it's Kermode. Okay. Kermode? Yeah. Yeah, it is now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, sorry, I'll go back again. Yeah, all good. Yeah. So someone who did love the movie was... the. I can't talk today. No, no, you're right. You're good. <laughs> Again, I just have to reiterate my confliction over this film because as much as it upset it, it yeah. <laughs> For me, it tested my patience and I felt that hard one to summarize, isn't it? Gosh. It is. <laughs> hey. Such a hard film to summarize. Yeah. <laughs> 
is one that tests the patience and I think would have benefited from some more conservative editing. I think it needed to be about half an hour shorter and that way it would have been more of a sh If the film was just a piece of trash, we wouldn't have had the discussion. We wouldn't have had the discussion. Um, we wouldn't have had... Oh.